0: You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible.
1: Folks, in the past few weeks, I've been all across America guy South Carolina and Nevada
2: after more than
3: a year and a half on the Hampshire, campaign trail. Today,
1: Philadelphia. And this campaign is just getting started.
3: And I promise you this. Investigation this morning into Joe Biden's the son Hunter and questions about money he made from foreign business dealings. After blistering attack ads and a full and season's worth of October surprises.
1: incredible sight, the president walked out of the White House on his own. He did give a wave and got on to Marine One, but Think about it, he's essentially being medevaced from the White House And we after three
3: debates right on the right national here. stage, he
1: has Obamacare, never done a single As you might thing. know, but
3: probably don't. Gentlemen, if you realize if you're good, both Joe, speaking at the same still time, good, and it's too expensive. Let, let, let the presidents go ahead, sir. Obamacare the 2020 no- U.S. presidential election has finally come to an end.
1: This nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory.
3: Four days after election day, former Vice President Joe Biden secured the necessary 270 electoral college votes to claim victory. Come January 20th, President Trump's administration will come to an end. It was one of the most bitterly fought, aggressively contested elections in modern memory. But, in many ways, the hard part still lies ahead. The incoming Biden administration will face a myriad of challenges, many of them unique in the history of presidential transitions. They'll have to shore up, and outright repair, many international alliances. They'll have to decide whether to re-enter treaties that the Trump administration unilaterally pulled out of. But they'll also have to take a hard look at the future of tech policy in the US. ...is an idealistic and optimistic company. ...to
0: build part of its new 5G cellular network. ...a tiny law that's had a huge impact on the Internet as we know it, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Lawmakers on both sides...
3: President-elect Biden and his Cabinet will need to steer the country's technology strategy while potentially contending with an oppositional Republican Senate. And while navigating a broadband crisis, not nearly enough Americans have access to the Internet during a pandemic in which access has become non-negotiable and they've only got a few short months to figure out where to start. In this episode, hosts Daryl West and Nicole Turner-Lee discuss tech policy in the Biden administration.
2: Thanks for joining our Tech Tank podcast. I'm Daryl West, Vice President of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and co-author with Brookings President John Allen of a book about AI entitled Turning Point Policymaking in the Era of Artificial Intelligence. With the 2020 election coming to a close, it's time to think about technology policy in the next administration. We have a new Democratic president in Joe Biden, a Senate where party control may be determined by January runoffs, and a Democratic House. What will be the top priorities of the Biden administration? If we end up with divided control, what will it mean for technology policy? Who are the types of people likely be appointed to key positions in the Federal Trade Commission, the Federal Communications Commission, the Department of Justice, and the Department of Commerce. To discuss these issues, we are pleased to be joined by two distinguished experts. Nicole Turner-Lee is the Director of the Brookings Center for Technology Innovation and a Senior Fellow in Governance Studies. She is an expert on technology policy and is writing a great book about the importance of digital access. Tom Wheeler is a visiting fellow in governance studies and the past chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. He is the author of a terrific Brookings book entitled From Gutenberg to Google, which I recommend to everyone. So I want to start with uh, Nicole. What should we expect from a Biden presidency in terms of technology policy? What do you see as his top priorities?
0: Thank you, Daryl, for having me and and so glad to be on again with Tom. You know, this is really a critical time to have this conversation. I'm glad the timing always works out perfectly, Daryl, when you are planning your podcast. You seem to get it right because I think this is going to be on the minds of many people in terms of where do we go from here. I, I think that, to start off, at least in this first year, I really think that Biden and Harris are going to inherit a host of unsettled technology policy issues. When you think about just a few weeks prior to the election, that there was much conversation on what to do with Section 230, you know, claims of censorship of conservatives, the Department of Justice's uh, antitrust uh, lawsuit against Google. There's going to be some cleaning up and cleaning house that's going to have to happen. And I think those particular issues that happened right before the election, in addition to the mounting calls for stronger antitrust enforcement, the lack of coherency around our policies with China when it comes to Chinese telecom companies, are going to be on the laps of Biden and Harris, where they'll have to figure out What type of framework are they going to institute to make better sense of domestic and international technology policy issues? I want to start there because I think the first year in particular will be an inflection point for the new administration who's going to have to make sense of some of the impulsiveness that we have seen when it comes to this current administration that we're dealing with. I think the other thing that the Biden-Harris presidency is going to have to focus on as well is the fact that we have as mounting issues, and I know Tom is going to say this because this is something that he and I constantly talk about, you know, clearly what is going to be at the priority of this administration will be handling COVID, the economy and other disruptions that have occurred as a result. But I do think that there has to be in, in their agenda, some way to get these kids back to school and then getting them back to school addressing some of the digital disparities that were experienced over the last seven months. So I'm going to be optimistic and I know Tom may say otherwise. That, you know, in tech policy, we should also see and what I've claimed in a piece that will come out soon, this attention towards universal broadband access and the idea, even though they may not always say it in their remarks, that we have to do better of getting more people connected. And, and I think they're going to take this as one of their agendas in terms of, you know, hence getting to the calls of what people are now questioning around how available and how ubiquitous broadband access is. But I know Tom, you're not seeing that as part of the menu. <laughs> so I'm going to put it out there, but I think again, they're going to dare, you know, is this inevitable. They got a host of stuff to clean up and that's where they're going to have to start.
2: Okay. Tom, you served in the Obama administration at the FCC. What do you see as president elect Biden's top tech priorities?
1: Darrell, you you've asked about tech policy, and Nicole and I are both, you know, techno nerds, um, and spending our time, you know, dealing with this nuance or that nuance of of a tech policy issue. But I think that that what we're going to see, at least early on, or at least what I hope we're going to see early on, is not that we get into the details of of tech policy but we address the question of how can tech policy solve the greater existential issues that the nation faces you know there i, I think there are five existential issues that the Biden administration is going to have to come to grips with and tech is part of all of them but but tech isn't in that top 5 you know what what are the five First of all, we've got to stop the plague. There is we gotta we gotta put the put the economy back together. We've got to fix the social injustice realities that affect too many people. We've got to deal with climate change. And then we've got this issue that the body that is in the best position to address those kind of existential issues, the federal government. Has been hollowed out both institutionally and individually by four years of constant attacks by the person that we hired to run it. And so it seems to me that the challenge in in the Biden transition, as well as in the early Biden administration, is less how do you feel about this specific tech policy? And more, what is it that technology is going to do to be a part of the solution to these existential issues? And specifically, what are the companies going to do to, to provide leadership?
2: Great perspective. I like that a lot. Uh, it's very interesting and informative, kind of thinking about how Uh, tech is part of the solution to these uh, big challenges. So I'd like to ask uh, each of you, and I'll start with uh, Nicole, a lot of presidential actions these days takes place through executive orders. What issues would you expect a Biden presidency to address through executive orders? Nicole?
0: I like the way you're framing that question, and I also want us to be cautious because we saw what happened with President Obama when he issued uh, many executive orders that essentially were overturned when we changed leadership. I mean, I think first and foremost, as Tom has mentioned, I think it's very important for the Biden administration to start thinking about, these existential threats in a serious way, and what are going to be the drivers to get us towards some type of uh, cure or some type of end game? And obviously, there are issues that we're dealing with now. If you look at school and, and students being disconnected from learning, I mean, clearly we have had this back and forth on the E-rate program. I'll just say that there are spaces where the Biden administration can put in an executive order to get past the noise and ensure that either kids are connected to broadband in some way, or that there is some type. of access to universal service resources that allow for what Tom has mentioned, this mitigation of not just the virus, but these other consequences as a result of the virus. I see the president doing something in that space. You know, what's interesting as you ask that question, though, Daryl, I don't see Biden, though, delivering as an administrator Executive orders. I see him more as a problem solver and one that will want some type of systemic long term change. I mean, outside of the really important issues like policing and other legislative acts that have been stalled because of partisanship. I do think that there will be a lot more uh, thought that will go into Biden's policies in a way that we've not seen in the last four years, where he will feel the need to at least start there with some type of diplomacy. Now, the challenge that he will experience, obviously, is going into a Republican-led Senate, potentially, in a Supreme Court that is going to be governed by conservatives and Republicans. He will have to probably go and do what Obama did, right, which is to issue executive orders, if there are any uh, places where he's not going to get traction. But, I I would, I would just say to your question, we need to be cautious about that because I think overall and historically tech policy has always been bipartisan and there have been areas where there's some type of middle, but I don't know what Tom would say to that question, but I, I, I do think on some of the immediate tech technology deliverables that will connect to the five pressing issues of the country, he will move by executive order if it is something that will be stalled in terms of progress within Congress.
2: So Tom, how active do you think a President Biden would be on the use of executive orders? And are there particular areas do you where you think he would take action?
1: Well, I'm struck by an article that that Mike Allen had in Axios, I think, yesterday, and the headline of which was McConnell Plan to Restrain Biden. And we all remember how Mitch McConnell is a Republican leader in the first weeks of the Obama administration said, my principal job is to make sure that Barack Obama is a one-term president. Okay. And, 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 and if we are headed back to gridlock gulch as a result of, of that kind of thinking, then there are only two avenues that are readily available. Um, one, as you point out, is executive orders. And and yes, Nicole's right. President Obama was excoriated by the Republicans for his use of executive orders. And his use of executive orders was like kindergarten compared to what President Trump did with uh, I- executive orders. So if you can't get things done one way, you got to get them done another. But I, but I think there's probably a a, a another potentially bigger route to get around gridlock gulch and and that is through the actions of independent agencies yes. and that comes down to a question of who does the president president biden appoint to head those agencies and will that person be a caretaker or a person who sees his or her mandate to be as aggressive as possible. And let me give you just a specific example, picking up on something that Nicole just talked about. She mentioned E-Rate yeah. and in the, 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 there is currently a federal program that supports schools and libraries and their internet connections. And it defines the use of those connections to go to quote schoolrooms.
0: Right. <laughs> That's right.
1: Well, you know, the schoolroom is no longer in that brick building anymore. The the there is there is somewhere between a billion and two billion dollars in unspent funds in the e-rate program right now. And the Trump FCC could have stepped up and said, in this kind of a crisis situation, we are interpreting schoolroom to mean where the student receives education. Therefore, we are going to support low-income students and their access to the Internet in homes that don't have that internet access. That's what a creative, passionate, caring kind of leader would do. And the challenge then is going to become on so many issues, if we have congressional gridlock, will President Biden have put in place agency heads who are willing to say it is time to throw off the shackles of the way we've always done things to understand the moment that we are in and the importance of using existing programs to solve new challenges.
0: That's right. And Darren, Tom,
2: I- Tom, are you campaigning for the FCC? Because it sounds like you were describing yourself.
1: No. Uh, there is, there is the shortest and most direct answer you will ever get.
2: <laughs> Just wanted to see. I mean, we could actually make news uh, there. But, uh, so, Nicole, Tom mentioned Senator McConnell. And, of course, right now we actually don't know what the final uh, party control of the Senate is going to be. But it looks like we may end up with a uh, very small Republican majority there. If that is uh, what happens. What impact do you think divided political control of Congress will mean for technology policy? Are there issues where you think the House and Senate can find agreement? Where might they differ and therefore prevent anything from happening?
0: Well, you know, I think what's so interesting about this comment, and you know, I, I, I apologize. I, I've listened to Tom, and there's so many places I want to jump in, so I'll try to be brief in my comments here as well. You know, I think overall, it is going to be a problem for Joe Biden. I mean, McConnell and the Republicans are very clear about the strategy and approaches that they want to take towards technology. They are, you know, most likely going to carry out the big grudge that the Trump administration had about bi- around big tech that we're going to see with regards to antitrust. I'm sure that there's going to be pushback when it comes to unpacking and and unraveling this perception that red states are white rural states and blue states are black urban centers. And so where funding gets allocated to urban areas, I'm sure there'll be some pushback on that as well. I mean, this is going to be a presidency, at least in the first year with a lot of grudges based on just how tumultuous it has been getting to this uh, final decision. I think with that being the case, You know, as Tom said, that there is going to be this need for Biden to exercise executive order or to get the right people who are not afraid to move forward with this type of partisanship. But I also think that it's going to be important, and I want to go back to this earlier point that we're making around where tech policy fits within the schema of the issues that are before us today, that we also get the GOP to start to understand that technology will become the enabler. It may become the cure. It may be the only way that we'll be able to do certain things. So You think about another example is telehealth and telemedicine. You know, the extent to which the GOP pushes back on something that has become most useful and, you know, utilized by people who have some concerns about going into a hospital or into their clinician's office, the fact that the GOP may push back on that may be utterly ridiculous. And in some cases, they may actually embrace it, right? So I do think that, you know, the senator is going to have to realize as we try to navigate out of this pandemic. And out of the consequences that have resulted from it, where are there spaces to actually be much more bipartisan? I'm always reflected back, Tom and Daryl, on the Ed Towns and Cliff Stearns championship team, that they were able to get so much done under a bipartisan telecommunications committee. That my hope is that, as Tom has mentioned, the Republicans will still stay, you know, somewhat paranoid and somewhat have, you know, these grudges, but they will return back to business the way that we used to do business in Congress mm-hmm. and allow those relevant committees to sort of uh, negotiate and analyze and explore what might be the right legislative directive. So it's hard to tell, Daryl, right? I mean, it's really hard to tell. And it's even harder. Someone asked me the other day, what is it going to look like with Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court and tech policy? And, you know, at this point, it's so premature because, you know, we're just coming out of this first shock and now we're going to go into the second shock. And we're going to see, you know, just how much skin in the game the Republicans have as to get this country back to some level of normalcy.
2: So, Tom, what impact do you see out of a divided political control of Congress?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things. The divided political control is a result of a divided country. And I was struck by an observation that John Meacham made looking at history in which he said that close elections produce consequential presidencies. Because the new president is forced to the middle, if you will, and and Joe Biden, by nature, is that kind of guy. You know, it was it was the big rap against him during the Democratic primaries that oh he'd go do deals. Well, we need deals being done um, right. right now. And and so I'm cautiously optimistic that that a Biden presidency brings with it an orientation for results. I think that Nicole's comment about about Republicans, what you call it, big grudge about big tech.
3: Yeah
0: um,
1: <laughs> is something that it'll be interesting to see. Was that big grudge just an attempt to work the refs yes. for the election? Or is it something that is substantial and and, and, and a matter of, of 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 dogma? But but I would think that there is a possibility to put together some kind of a package of 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 tech policy issues and again i go back to my first point that this is this is secondary to how tech addresses the existential issues but that there is a chance to look at 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 a package of tech policy that deals for instance with section 230 we'll find out again where the republicans were really serious about wanting to solve the issues of 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 tech policy that deals with the issue of privacy and and the republicans will be very interested there in getting preemption of state activities and then that, that deals with a couple of democratic issues which is open entry to allow innovation and 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 policies that that encourage innovation now if those are if those four pieces can be put together. I'll give you my two. If if you give me your two, then I think we may have a chance of 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 moving something forward. But at this point in time, that is is only hypothetical. But it is it is it is made uh, more potential by the fact that Joe Biden is per se um, a deal doer and is by history himself a creature of the United States Senate.
2: Actually, it'll be interesting to see if Biden is able to take advantage of his extensive experience in the Senate and all the personal relationships he has to try and build a coalition there, because he served many years there, knows McConnell, and will that be a plus for him? So, Nicole, what are the types of people who are likely to end up in key administration uh, positions? And so this would include uh, jobs such as those at the White House, Federal Trade Commission, Federal Communications Commission, Department of Justice, and NTIA.
0: Well, you know, this is where I want to sort of share where I think this administration has to become more loyal to the platform in which it campaigned off of. And this relates back to what Tom mentioned in terms of the issues where there might be some deal-making. And one of the areas uh, that I find is somewhat missing is this area around you know, racial equity and diversity within, within the technology space, generally. I think when we think about appointments, given that the Biden-Harris campaign ticket ran off of a racial equity platform. It's going to be really important that they also pick folks that are representative in terms of the lived experiences of communities. So demographically representative of the populace, it will also be important that they find people that have a particular leaning towards uh, universal service or the affordability of broadband or deployment in spaces that are not just rural. I mean, I think this administration will, have the challenge because, you know, it's been four years since we've had an Obama administration, which I think had many of the most smartest people in the space represented at the agencies, Tom being one of them. What I see happening under Biden, however, Given the role that African American voters and African American leadership has played, as well as Latina leadership, Asian American leadership in their campaign, it's important that they have those agencies with diverse people. And you know, given some of the insight into what these administration, what these agencies will look like, we're not seeing it. And so, I think going forward, to be true to their message, it's important for President Biden and and Senator Harris to really think about who is out there that when we speak about getting access to the homes of students understands the importance of making sure that is representative of black, brown and beige communities who is out there when we think about privacy that gets that we need to ensure that we are developing standards and frameworks or supporting them at the administration level to ensure that deceptive practices against marginalized populations or seniors are not being advanced as a result of this pandemic. I don't know if you guys get what I'm talking about here, but I, I just think that there has to be some genuineness in terms of the pick of the slate to be representative of the America in which they won the hearts and minds and souls of to go to the polls. And I'm not quite sure if that is at the top of mind in the um, teams that are thinking about who is going to lead those agencies, and the extent to which those leaders have this particular framing or empathy towards closing the concerns, which really led people to go out there and want to create a new America, essentially, that's been so polarized over these last four years. I, so, Nicole, I...
2: you realize you just described yourself here. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna say, like Tom, no comment. <laughs>
1: no, no,
0: okay, I did that's not, fair enough.
1: No, 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 no. Let's let's be specific here. I did not say no comment. I said, uh, n- I thought that's
0: what you said. <laughs> I said
1: no.
2: But I uh, think that's exactly right. I will testify on Tom's behalf. He was quite definitive uh, in that regard. But I think, uh, I so think Tom- Nicole's right.
1: Nicole's right, uh, Daryl. If I can, you know, that 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 that, that in an era <clears throat> in which racial injustice is is one of those existential issues it is crucial that the new administration step up and by its actions show that it wants to put a spike through the heart of at least part of those issues yeah. but when it comes to uh, th- then you say okay so let's look at what the what the qualities of such a person should be. And, and we've talked before about the need for somebody who is an innovative leader. I think we also have to remember that this is, that, that, that these jobs are, are, are management jobs. And, and, and we need to be putting into the position people who have management experience, traditionally the fast road to end up on an independent agency is, is to be a staffer in the Congress particularly in the Senate but but you need to have run something and and I think that that's a quality that that I hope that the Biden transition is actively looking for I mean I, I I'd also add that you know everybody as you as you might imagine my phone rings daily with people wanting to talk about this slot or that slot and I've come to the conclusion that talking about who is going to get what position is kind of like talking about the weather. Everybody talks about it, but what the weather ends up being is a result of a confluence of forces that you cannot foresee and that when it comes to the list, That is put before the president saying, well, let's figure out who it ought to be for this job. The forces and the winds that are blowing at that particular point in time are are what end up making uh, the decision. And we have no idea what those are going to be today.
0: Although, although, Darrell, I'm sorry, I want to just jump in real quick on Tom's comment, though. I want us to be careful, though, Tom, to say that you have to have management experience and communications policies. There are very few people of color that have been able to gain the type of stature where they're running, you know, Fortune five hundred companies, or I didn't they say, have. That's actually- not what I said. That's not oh, what no, I said. I'm, I'm, no, that's I'm just not- putting it out. I'm just. I'm, I know. I know where your heart is on that one. I'm just saying that I think we have to be careful that we're going to find the folks that have been in this space long enough to make a dent in terms of, you know, being able to be competitive enough for one of these agencies. I would actually suggest, as the administration thinks about how to fill these spaces you got to remember a large part of this win that we're dealing with was driven by Black women voters as well as Black minority voters. I mean, Let's be real about it. Where Biden got a lot of the traction as we went down this road were the mail-in ballots that came from dense urban centers. I think not only are we trying to change the trajectory of how we look at racial equity, because that, in terms of the Democrats' CNN exit poll that I recently sent to Daryl suggested at the top of the list of issues was racial equity for the Democrats, the economy for the Republicans. But I think that there has to be some genuine credibility around the administration to think very carefully on how do you put it. And I agree with you, you cannot run the FCC if you don't have experience about the rules and statutes and regulations around it. I get that. But how do you also get somebody in some of these positions that understand that when you're talking about like at labor, where are the next future of industry? And you begin to look at the proportion of tech in the GDP, but yet you don't change the programs to be inclusive of people who are going to be out there looking for work, who are disproportionately people of color, disproportionately undereducated, et cetera, you're you're not being genuine to the concerns of the campaign. And so I just hope hope that we try to embody that and embrace the Rooney rule that Schumer and others and Pelosi did on the Hill to ensure that there was more representation on Capitol Hill in Congress, congressional staffer positions. That was an intentional approach to looking at diversity. So that's my point.
1: Nicole, you're defining what I said in management is you had to run a Fortune 500 company. Okay. And that is incorrect. I also don't think you have to be a uh, a, a total guru on the, on the law. I mean, you need to know the issues, but, you know, there's an awful lot of lawyers that will end That's up right. working for you at an okay. agency that can walk you through the law. But the fact of the matter is that if you want to be accomplishing something, you have to be able to manage towards goals. And to deliver on those goals, and I don't think that that is something that is racially defined. I reject the concept that you're trying to establish, that somehow i'm 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 leaving out African American women or or whatever I think that you can have. I know that there exist individuals uh, of color. With management experience, who would be great leaders at, at the FCC, FTC, and other agencies.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I, love think-
2: I love it when the two of you argue. I think we're going to have to retitle this podcast Crossfire. But uh, <laughs> Nicole, I want to ask you about a state government. So, Republicans appear to have held their own in terms of governorships, attorney generalships, and state legislatures across the country. What will that mean for tech policy at the state level?
0: I think it's going to mean much of the same. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see too much of a difference in terms of the market-driven approaches that have been sort of suggested and driven by the Republicans over, I think, some of the more consumer-protected and oriented policies that state governments have actually put out there. And so I think, Derek, going forward, there's there's probably going to be more consistency there with the exception of those Republican governors that may feel a little bit more unleashed you know, to be able to follow whatever they think is going to be work best for their states versus what's going to work best for the administration. So I think on certain policies where state AGs still need the enforcement power to be able to deliver out technology policy, whether it be privacy, uh, frameworks, et cetera, I think that that's still going to be the same case. I think where there may be differences will be driven by what we have seen, for example, around telehealth and telemedicine or other tech policies where certain Republican governorships have different perspectives on the type of punitive consequence to industry over on certain issues. Again, there is a lot. One of the things that I walked away from this election, guys, is that, you know, there's some things that just going to still stay the same. <laughs> and we'll have to take that that for the team because of the consistency that voters actually wanted locally. So there was a lot of confidence in their local leadership, which is fair as we go forward. But I think there will be particular issues, Daryl, of a concern where Republican governors, state state legislatures, as well as Democrat will differ. And some of those issues we've identified here at Brookings, like facial recognition, et cetera, where there'll be some concerns as to the extent to which, you know, local governments feel a certain way around the protection of consumers or the protection of industry on those particular issues.
2: So, Tom, what do you think the election means for tech policy at the state level? The
1: the reason that we're, the only reason that we're talking about state tech policy is because we do not have a national tech policy. That's right. And nature abhors a vacuum, Right. And so if our federal leaders are not stepping up to their responsibility to protect the public interest, then of course governors and state legislatures are going to come in and try and fill the void. And the interesting thing is that, that, as Nicole knows, that will cause all kinds of, of... of difficulties in terms of potentially balkanizing the market so that there's one set of rules for this state and one set of rules for the other. It is one of the consequences. The fact that we're having this discussion is one of the consequences of a failure of leadership to deal with tech policy issues. And let me just expand on that worldwide. On December 2nd, the EU is going to publish their their digital policy there, there's some legislation that will establish the digital initiative in the EU in a connected world, we're not we're not isolationists anymore.
0: That's right. And
1: the rules that get made in Europe end up affecting us because it takes the blink of an eye for data to move from Europe um, to the United States and 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 again, If we don't have our own understanding as to what we stand for as a nation, then these things will be defined by others. And I frankly don't think that that's good for the American consumer. I don't think that it is good for the American economy. And I know it isn't good for the digital companies because they're going to face disparity of rules among the states, they're going to face disparity of rules amongst various nations. And, and, and how they deal with that will limit some of the scope and scale economies that they would otherwise have and could pass on to consumers.
2: So, Nicole, there were interesting referendum results as well. So, California voters sided with Uber and Lyft in rejecting changes in independent contractor rules. Uh, some states adopted new privacy laws. Portland outlawed the use of facial recognition software by law enforcement. What do you see happening in local government?
0: Well, you know, I want to go back to what Tom said. I think local government is going to continue to operate locally until there's some type of federal standard around any of these issues. I mean, what we saw in California in the last few days was really interesting, right? Because California has been setting precedent on tech policy. They've sort of been the guide path for what should and should not be done. And if you all remember, in privacy discussions, we were sort of afraid if California would go first, and they did. And so now we've got this whole issue of preemption that we're dealing with on even a federal privacy standard. I think, again, as the Biden administration gets in place, this is something that they actually want to do, and that is to redefine the narrative for tech policy at a federal level. What should the feds be paying attention to when it comes to these policies? How do we look at particular programs? I mean, I do believe in, Daryl, you and I have written about this. Facial recognition is going to come up because I do, again, thinking about the, uh, the idea that the administration will be true to form with regards to racial equity. They will want to ensure that it's not necessarily creating any type of ill or deceptive outcome for communities of color because of the technical inaccuracies or the fact that it's misused by law enforcement. I do believe that, you know, local government will also try to stand in the gap. But this is where places like Brookings come in, right, which is to continue to do the type of evidence-based research to give some insight into these issues and in matter of fact We have a project uh, that we're working on with our colleague Rashawn Ray and Rebecca Wexler, uh, who is a non-resident fellow in CTI, to sort of think about where we place facial recognition so that local governments have some guidance. I think until we figure out... What are going to be the main top priorities? So going back to Tom's first statement, if we stay with those existential threats only and we see technology as an enabler or uh, a way to leverage the type of capacities that technology can offer to create more efficient systems, that's going to be one way. But maybe we also need to think about putting on the list of top 10 about three or four technology priority issues that will allow local governments to sort of have a framework from which to operate so that we're not having some knee-jerk reaction. To what Tom has mentioned, the lack of coherency when it comes to tech policy in the last four years. So, Daryl, I I think that until we have this sort of come to Jesus meeting uh, with the new administration and everyone is in place, I think we're going to continue to see local governments come up with local policies to address tech But the challenge again is that technology, the internet, they are not bound by walls or brick and mortar structures. This is something that the reason that we've been able to benefit from it so greatly, and particularly under this pandemic, is because of its fluidity. And so, my hope is that we'll finally, finally have everybody at the table to come up with an all hands on deck strategy that reflects the appropriate nature of how we should start addressing and dealing with the impacts of these technologies that may actually lead to fault and others that we need to. Be able for the public good to be able to solve social problems.
2: So, Tom, will local governments be the new leaders on tech
1: policy? So, I'm sorry that this is a podcast and, and not video, and you can't see the smile on my face as I say what I'm about to say, which is, you know, I think that the biggest set of referendum issues. Coming out of this election we're not about tech policy, but we're about marijuana policy
0: <laughs> right right
1: and 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 obviously uh, the people through initiatives and refer through the right of initiative and referendum have the right the responsibility, and the ability to express themselves but normally that happens when the people's representatives have failed in their own leadership activities and and when it comes to tech policy we need to have a national policy we can't break the one of the one of the big advantages that 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 we have had is for the internet and why we're the leaders in internet services around the world is because we had the home field advantage. We had a homogeneous market of 325 million people. And if we are going to destroy that homogeneity because of the fact that our national leaders will not step up and say, here are common rules for Americans, shame on us. And, and, and again, I understand why they happen, but they only happen because there's a void created by a void in leadership.
0: Yeah, and if I could, Dar, if I could jump in real quick, I think we're, to Tom's point, sort of keeping with the sentiment so we stop sort of operating within Trumpism pessimism, right? And start looking at the optimism around tech policy. You know, you both have heard me say, I think that this is a great opportunity to start thinking about what does a technology new deal look like? How does local government play a part in the mapping of assets around broadband? What role do local governments play in helping us to reform the universal service? fund so that we ensure that we could address the affordability concerns and perhaps move away from divides of rural and urban to more solutions. I think local government could actually stand together with the federal government to make sense of these incongruencies that happen when we look at tech policy and how we can actually forge ahead with greater deployment, you know, greater accessibility and greater availability of these technologies from you know, the time that we lay fiber to the time that a young child learns something new via a device or some type of um, online instruction. That's where local government will be most effective. And I think, you know, the whole slogan that Biden and Harris ran off of build back better is all about starting with these creative solutions that Tom is talking about and not looking back at fragmented disparate ways in which we did policymaking in this area like i said going back to, to to sterns and towns whenever you see them in person those are some of the most smiling people i know who have really great stories to reflect upon when they work together and i think we see that across the country in terms of the alliances that have been made across cities and states and mis- municipalities who you know who are thinking about ways to innovate together regionally you know what we're seeing in regional contact tracing things like that i've never seen anything like this where we're actually seeing local governments step up in the face of absent federal support. So, you know, I would think, and Tom, I don't know about you, but I think that we could actually turn the page on a new side of history and really figure out ways that we can coalesce our efforts as opposed to being in our silos.
1: I think there is a major hole in your argument, Nicole. Oh, what is that? Uh, and, and, And that is that history has proven that one of the reasons that, for instance, you federalize civil rights, is because you can't count on the states. One of the reasons, one of the failures we have had in Medicare has been to leave to the states some of the decisions so that a person in Alabama gets different kinds of Medicare uh, benefits than a person in Ohio. And and that that there are national interest and public interest issues that the the country and its citizens are best served when they are consistent across the Commonwealth.
0: Yeah, and I and I agree with that. I mean I don't think and you know just to make sure I'm heard correctly, I don't think that I'm saying that we need to abandon that process, but I'll give you a great example when 51, 000, 51 million school age students were sent home from school sent home to actually learn what we actually discovered was that school districts didn't know who was serving their particular communities and more granular than that we learned that there were schools that didn't know who served their blocks around their their buildings and so i think that there has to be a role tom i think yes there will be federal privacy, federal standards that are going to have to be created so that we serve the public interest in a more comprehensive way. But I think we're fooling ourselves in internet policy if we don't understand the role that local communities play and local governments play in ensuring that people have access. One of the things that I'm finding out in my book, when you come out of Washington, D.C., you actually find out that there are local people across the the country that are coming up with solutions to serve the 500, the 1,000, you know, perhaps the congregation of their church to get them online, and since being connected mattered so much in 2020, I do think that we need to relook at internet policy. Is not just something that we, as policy wonks, as sit in the the you know the center of where decision making happens at the federal level, but we figure out how to get local governments involved in this in ways that they do not feel that they cannot move forward without federal support, and and that in the school-based situation, I cannot tell you how many schools struggled based on the lack of action of a national broadband map that was available to them, but just struggled to get the basic information about connectivity within the blocks of where their students were living. So I think you and just so I, said a I'm key hoping thing. We can blend. I'm hoping that we, you know, I, I'm, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just hoping that we can bring them to the table. Because I think that there's value, particularly in an internet economy, where we'll learn from them whether or not we're even getting it right on the federal side.
1: I want to know, I think you're absolutely right. If you're going to have a connectivity initiative in southeastern Ohio, Appalachia, you need to make sure that the local communities, the local libraries are involved in that. However, those local communities, have neither the authority to mandate access or the funds to pay for access. And so if what you're talking about is a federal program that establishes standards nationwide so that all Americans are created equal are, are treated equally and will support and facilitate local initiatives. I'm all with you. I just don't think that we can walk away from saying, this is the United States of America, and we need to look out for all of our citizens, regardless of where they live, and regardless of what the, the, the political, social, or economic realities of that area where they live might be. And here is the national standard that everybody will operate under.
2: That concludes our Tech Tank podcast. I want to thank Nicole and Tom for sharing their thoughts with us about the next administration. Uh, they write regularly at our Tech Tank blog on the Brookings website, and you can find their work at brookings.edu. Let us know if you have any reactions to this podcast. We look forward to hearing your suggestions, and thank you for tuning in.
0: Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.